0: So it's no secret that I love the church calendar, I think it's just a wonderful tool of discipleship in forming us more into the likeness of Christ. And right now we're in the season of ordinary time, which is perhaps my favorite season, although Advent is also another one, but that's another discussion for later. Uh, but I love ordinary time. Uh, I was speaking with some folks in between the services and they were like, we wanna hear, we wanna hear a sermon on like the glory of ordinary time. And this this might be kind of close because I just I love ordinary and I love thinking about God at work in the seemingly mundane, normal things of our of our lives. It's it's a beautiful thing to think about. So ordinary usually means normal or plain or boring. Uh, but when the church uses it, we mean it in a sense of God putting things into order. Uh, God taking the chaos of this world and, and bringing it to a place of, of peace, of, of reorganization, of completeness, of goodness. Because the fact of the matter is that this world is a very chaotic place, right? It's, it's messy, it's, it's sick, it's broken, it's rebellious. And the Bible tells us that the world is that way because the human heart is that way. And so we as the stewards of this world have Uh, have made a mess of it. It, it, This is a chaotic place. And so we are in dire need of God's reordering, his ordinariness to come and break into our hearts. We pray things like, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. That's a way of saying, God, may your good order rule, may your kingdom rule in my heart. Well, the good news for us is that God hears our prayer that God loves you, that he, he loves me, and he wants to actually do this for us. And in fact, that's why he sent his son, Jesus. It's, it's what we spend uh, our time here all about, is learning more about God and his love for us, how he is the good father who loves you. He is the good son who prays for you. He is the good spirit who feel, fills your spiritual lungs with his divine life. The problem, though, is that his kingdom... rule is not always easy to discover. It's not always easy to find. A lot of the characteristics of the kingdom, things like wisdom and peace, these are elusive things. It's it's like looking for the turkey that have been roaming our our neighborhood recently. It's like, are they here today? I don't know. And then you look at the top of your car and they're sitting there. It's like, oh my goodness. God is like a turkey, I heard today. <laughs> um, but we do. We look around this world and we see chaos and disorder and violence and, and evil. And we, and we read our Bibles that say Jesus is Lord. And we think, how could, how could we say that? How can we say that Jesus is Lord when the world looks the way that it does? Well, that brings us to Matthew's gospel. And Jesus, he's, he's speaking here to his disciples and this is, this is a small band of Jewish misfits, right? Like, these aren't the elites of society. Uh, these are fishermen and tax collectors. I mean, these aren't um, the movers and shakers of the world. And he's, and he's speaking these things about the kingdom to these kinds of people. And one of those people is Matthew, is a tax collector, and Matthew is the one who hears all of these things that Jesus says, and then many years later, as he's reflecting on, on the Jesus event of, what, of his death and resurrection, Matthew takes it upon himself to write these things down. He's, he's sort of a, a New Testament scribe, you could say. He takes the things of Jesus and writes them down, and so he sends, he, he compiles this gospel account, and he gives it to, to a small, oppressed band of early Christians in fact, in this story, I won't dive into this, but in what we just read, did you notice how it concludes? And Jesus says that those who receive the kingdom are like a scribe who are uh, taking the good from the old uh, and the new. And it's almost as if Matthew might be speaking about himself in that moment. He's pulling from the, the Jewish tradition and, and he's pulling from these new things that Jesus has said. And he's, and he's telling us about the kingdom this morning. But these disciples the community that Matthew's writing to, you know, they're also in this chaotic world. They look around and they see this this pagan culture that they're in with these massive temples just dedicated to these appalling gods who did appalling things, and their followers did appalling things. But then they also think about their own Jewish history and just the beautiful splendor of all of that and how it's, it's it's not like that anymore. And so they also are looking around their world saying, Jesus is Lord, but my goodness, who would ever guess that? You know, it's this small, tiny community. So we're going to be looking at Matthew's gospel. We're going to be looking at these five parables of the kingdom that Jesus uh, speaks to us. And so by the words of Jesus and by the power of his Holy Spirit, I pray that we ourselves this morning might have, our, our eyes of faith might, might grow just a little bit in more perception. Of God and, and what he is doing in our midst. Um, you all feel really far away from me this morning, so I'm going to take a couple steps down. I, I did this in the first service, too, and it felt really nice. And um, How many of you used to worship with us back when we were in the community center? Yeah, okay, all right, like not even half. Can you imagine, by the way, that like, anyway, I, I won't get all sentimental, but um, in those days, it was like we were all just four feet from each other, um, my daughter one day was bouncing a bouncy ball and it got away And as was celebrating the, at the table and it rolled between my feet. You know, it was there in the community center. Anyway, let's talk about these parables. Back to the word of God. <laughs> so the first one, the mighty, mighty mustard seed. So here Jesus tells us about the kingdom, how it starts very, very small, like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds. It's no bigger than the tip of a pen. And yet this seed, when it's planted, grows high. It's the largest of all of the garden bushes. It's, it's so big that people call it a tree. They think it's huge. They think it's massive. And what Jesus is telling this small band of believers in this moment is expect big things from the kingdom. Yes, you belong to a kingdom that seems very, very small. But if you were to have spiritual eyes, you would see that you are in the shade of this massive tree right now. This beautiful tree, it's, it's bigger than any of those pagan temples. It's, it's mightier than any of these, these oppressive empires over us right now. This will, be, this will go on for year after year, generation after generation, for thousands of years, on into eternity. This is the kingdom that you belong to, is what Jesus is trying to tell them. Now, a few weeks ago, Bart, when you were preaching on a parable, you talked about how everyone has a little bit shocking thing to it. So what's shocking about this one? I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. I love you, Bart. That was really fun. Um, oh, you were at the preschoolers this morning. Okay, all right. You're off the hook. So I think that the shocking thing about this one is that Jesus also says that the birds of the air are going to come and roost in this. You know, as you read the Old Testament, the prophets often talked about Israel as, as a tree. And it was Israel who, uh, whose branches the 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 birds of the air would come and, and make their home. They would find shelter there. And so now Jesus has the kind of the gall, the shock to tell just a couple of his believers, the nations are going to come and find shelter in your branches. Like how beautiful is that? And you know, birds are beautiful. They're all so fragile, right? And they, they, they're lovely, they sing beautiful things, and they, they represent the splendor of all of the kingdoms and the, and the riches and the culture and just the excitement and the, and the song and the melody. And so to think that they are going to find shelter in the branches of the kingdom of God, that there they'll find rest and nourishment from the fruit of this beautiful tree. And Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom. It might seem by the world's eyes to be small, and insignificant, and even culturally irrelevant at, at times, but the spiritual reality is so much bigger than that. It's so much more significant than that. With the eyes of faith, you will see that the kingdom of God is large and mighty and strong. It's capable of protection, protecting the oppressed. It provides rest for the weary and even nourishment for the hungry. So brothers and sisters, may we have spiritual eyes to see this mighty kingdom around us. So let's talk about the parable of the yeast. This, this one sentence, this uh, parable of, of the leaven, I should probably say, this one-sentence parable. In here, a, a woman hides some flour with a bit of leaven in it until the whole thing, the whole shebang is, is leavened. Now, what I love about this is You know, all these parables involve ordinary things, but in the ancient Jewish world, probably nothing was more ordinary than flour. I mean, every home had it. It was uh, touched and used and manipulated every single day. You might be able to smell its effects or taste its effects. I mean, it was just everywhere. I mean, uh, bread was was life, you know, it was everywhere. It's this normal, ordinary, maybe even boring sort of element of, of the ancient world and even of our world today. Now, it's a little shocking to me that, that Jesus uses leaven in this story because in the Old Testament, leaven typically is, has negative connotations to it. It's not a, a, a good thing. Um, oftentimes, the prophet talks about, you know, the, the bad leaven of the world. And in fact, during the, the Feast of Passover, the Jews were instructed to, to scour their home and to remove all leaven from their home in preparation for the Passover feast and by itself, have you ever tasted leaven? Like it's kind of yucky. It's kind of gross. Like it's 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 sort of bitter. Like you don't want to just eat it by eat e- yeast by itself. I mean that's dangerous too. It's, I mean what weirdo would do that? Um, but it symbolizes not just something that tastes bad, but it's it's small and it can just so quickly spread and so quickly transform. You know the the world around it. Its its surroundings. And so in the Old Testament, that's why it would symbolize things like sin, because, my goodness, that's exactly what sin does in our world, right? And yet Jesus still uses this imagery. He says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. God takes the small, distasteful characters of society, people like me and like you, and he transforms us. And then he infuses us with the power of of his Holy Spirit, which then has the power to transform whatever it is around us. And he says, this is the kingdom of heaven, so small and in distasteful origins, and yet look at its transformative power, Jesus is saying. Another sort of gem or or key word in this one-liner is the word hide. The woman hides the flower. The work of the kingdom is not seen, is it? It's as if the Lord is saying that, that it's not, this, is, this is not headline work that's going to be happening here. Like, you're not going to um, be doing kingdom work and all of a sudden be seeing it on TikTok or whatever. Like, this is stuff that happens in the secret, in the, in the unknown places, in the hidden places. It's usually far from the public eye. The kingdom of work is among the poor. It's among the suffering, the vulnerable, the broken. Uh, those who don't have much worth in society's eyes. So, Jesus is saying the kingdom is like leaven. It's, also, it's able to quickly transform its surroundings, but it's also hidden and rarely noticed. All right, I'm going to combine the next two, the parable of the treasure and the parable of the pearl. And These are really fun because they're similar in some ways, and they're also different in some ways. So how are they similar? Well, someone discovers something that's unbelievably valuable, Right? And then what do they do? They, they sacrifice literally everything that they own in order to obtain this, in order to, to own this, this treasure, this, this beautiful thing. They, they sell everything, their house, their boat, their barn, their, you know, whatever, their, their robes. Like they get rid of all of that so that they can have this beautiful thing, this perfect thing, this treasure, this radiant thing. But the differences are also interesting. So let's look at the treasure. So here it's a poor man. It's a farmer, it's a field worker, and he's working his field, he's just kind of bumbling along, doing the normal, ordinary, routine thing, and then all of a sudden his plowshare strikes something, it strikes an obstacle. And I'm not a farmer, um, but I would imagine that some choice words would have come out of his mouth as soon as he struck that thing, right? Right? Um, And he probably looked up at heaven and was like, come on, like, what's going on here? And might be thinking about all the damage that was just caused to the, the tip of his plowshare. And, you know, so he finds this thing by accident and he is perhaps a little upset by it. But then what does he do? He finds it and he celebrates. And then we've got the parable of the pearl and here we've got a different man. This is a merchant. This is, uh, you could probably assume that as, as someone, uh, th- this to be someone who has means in society. He's, uh, he buys and sells things. He's a merchant. And what he has done is he has devoted his life's work to the study of beautiful things. This man, his eye knows perfection when he has seen it. And sure, there's other pearls that are there in the market. He probably could have gone and and bought one of those, but they weren't satisfactory to him. No, he was looking for perfection. And so when he sees that pearl, that pearl of great value, what does he do? He does the same thing that the farmer did. He sells absolutely everything that he has. All those other pearls, maybe his library, his research, all of that sort of stuff, his digging tools. He's not going to be looking for any more pearls after this. No, and he goes and he secures that pearl. Rich man, poor man. Accidental discovery, intentional lifelong pursuit. Both of them sell all that they own in order to get the treasure. So for those of you who call yourself a Christian, which, which of those do you think you would identify with? How did you find Jesus? Was it an accident? Were you just kind of minding your own business and then Jesus just kind of showed up in your car and you maybe veered off the road a little bit? Uh, or maybe you, uh, you, know, you were studying various faiths, and you went from this faith to that one, maybe this ideology to that one, and none of them quite satisfied you until you found Jesus, and then you knew, this is perfection. This is, this is my heart's desire. This is satisfactory to me. Or maybe your story is a mixture of the two. I don't know. But isn't it beautiful that in God's scripture, he, he lists both kinds of stories, he sees you. He knows your story. He celebrates that story. He wants that story to be shared with your family members with, uh, in your home, but also here in the church. We want to know, how did, how did, how did Jesus get a hold of you? Because these are beautiful things to share. They're, it's how our faith grows as a community and as a believer is to share those things because it's honoring to God. He loves it. He loves it. The kingdom of God is hidden. And it's un, it is of an unfathomable value. It's worth giving up everything for. It's worth pursuing with all of your heart, mind, and strength. All right, let's move to the parable of the net. This one gets a little intense. But I, think we can, I think we can take it. Uh, so the kingdom of God is like a net pulled up onto the beach, and, and it's filled with every kind of fish in there. You've got beautiful rainbow trout that you just want to pick up and kiss. They're just gorgeous fish. You just love those things. But then there's also some slimy catfish in there, right? Like no one wants those. You just want to kind of kick those aside. All those, all those fish are in there. So I've got kind of three little things to say about this. Isn't it interesting that all those fish are together? It's not like Jesus says, oh, the kingdom of God. All, every, everyone is just perfect in there. No. He knows that it's a messy world. He knows that this church is a messy church. He knows that the good fish are right next to the bad fish, and, and he says this is, this is the reality of it. Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't excusing the presence of the bad fish. No, elsewhere in Scripture, he, he talks about wolves in the midst, and he, he says that a, a good shepherd is one who is able to identify those and that it's, it's the job of the church to put protections in place to make sure that the vulnerable are, are protected and don't succumb to the wolves or, or to the muddy, slimy Catfish, I don't know. But we have a responsibility to protect one another and to teach one another how to protect one another, to have a culture of safety and protection here. And I hope here at Restoration you've found that to be the case. Because the reality is that sin lurks among us and is even within our own hearts, right? I mean, I I quote Augustine all the time when he says that all of us have this wolf within us, right? And we've got this chain, and we're just waiting for the wolf to slip the chain. And by the grace of God, that hasn't happened yet. So evil has to, the reality of evil has to be acknowledged and reckoned with. And thankfully, we serve Jesus Christ, who has risen from the dead. The wolf should shudder in his presence. So it's the church's responsibility to understand this, that the trout and the catfish bump shoulders every now and then. I think fish have shoulders. Um, the second thing, some, 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 Christians, some Christians hear a parable like this and we think that it's an invitation to, to invent some kind of like salvation scanner. You know what I mean? I, I had a professor uh, in seminary who said that, that Christians just love inventing salvation scanners where we could just like go up to someone and be like, yeah, you're, you're saved, you're cool, uh, you're not saved, you should go somewhere else. And this, this passage is pretty... Um, Speaks pretty straightforward about that. You know, two things. Like, first, the sorting of humanity doesn't happen now. The Bible says this happens at the end of the age. And then second, it's not men and women who are doing the sorting. It's God and his angels who are doing it. It's not our job to tell people saved, not saved. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, our job is to live faithful to Jesus Christ who has called us, and that involves sharing the good news with anyone who has an ear to listen. We are to to be icons of God's goodness to the world around us, and to always be praying for the salvation of our loved ones, right? But salvation belongs to God. God is the judge. He is the one who sits upon the throne, The third thing that we see in this final parable is the reality of the fiery furnace. It's this place reserved for those who do evil. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a place of supreme value, of humble grace, of transforming beauty, of abundant life, all these things that these parables have been telling us about. But Jesus is also crystal clear to reject his life and to reject the light that he gives us, that abundant life that he offers us, only leads to one other thing, and that is decay, death, and violence. Now, it's not the driving theme of this, but Jesus is clear. That is a part of the equation. He doesn't skirt around the issue. So brothers and sisters, choose Jesus. Please choose Jesus. So here we have these five kingdom parables. The kingdom of God is a mighty shelter available for all the nations to come and to roost. The kingdom of heaven is hidden, it's transformative, it's powerful, it's mighty, and it's a treasure of supreme value. It's a treasure that's beautiful uh, beyond anything else that you've ever experienced before. And the kingdom of God is a place where evil will finally be reckoned with and put away so that we can enjoy God in the presence of one another as well, in perfect righteousness and goodness. And so then what does Jesus say? He turns to his friends and he says, do you understand all these things? And I think he gives that question to us as well. You can listen to the million sermons on this stuff. I mean, we could have one sermon on each one of these things. And the question still remains, do you understand all these things? And I can talk forever, but this is a work between you and the Holy Spirit. Jesus asking you, do you understand these things? Do you understand the riches of the kingdom? Do you understand that boundless grace that God offers to you? Do you understand what he's done for you upon the cross, what he's offering you? Do you understand that we have the opportunity to be washed of our own sin and enjoy the goodness of God forever, of all of eternity? Do you understand all these things, Jesus asks us. He's also talking about the kingdom and its hiddenness, right? And He says, you are a part of this, you can be a part of this kingdom here and now. This isn't something that we have to wait forever on. He says this is something that is going on here and now. This last week we hosted a, a VBS here and there was uh, quite, quite a, a gaggle of children in this building. Uh, they were downstairs in the fellowship hall. Uh, it was wonderful. It was uh, chaotic at times, but my goodness, their laughter uh, was just incessant. Uh, their joy, their beautiful questions. And we, as we pondered the fruit of the Spirit and just how uh, delicious righteousness can be, God is at the work at work among us there. He's also at work when you come forward and you extend your hands and, and receive this, this small piece of bread packed with the presence of Christ, nourishing your soul, sustaining you for your journey here on earth. That's the kingdom at work. And then after you receive, you're gonna be invited to go and pray in the corner if you'd like, where there's other um, trained prayer ministers who will hold whatever you share in confidentiality And they would love to storm heaven alongside you there in a place that's not going to be making any headlines. So if you have prayer concerns, please come. The kingdom of God is at work there as well. His kingdom is strong. His kingdom is quiet. His kingdom is good. Do you understand these things? Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, it is a chaotic world. It's a chaotic church, and even our hearts, Lord, are places of chaos. So speak your word to us, Lord Jesus, and calm the storms. Open our eyes, Lord Christ, so that we can see your spirit at work among us in the small, ordinary, normal, quiet places, Lord. And by the power of your cross, and by the power of your resurrection, Lord, show us the way to eternal life with you. Help us, Lord, to follow after you so that we can enjoy the fullness of this kingdom and we will see you face to face. We ask all of this, Jesus, in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen.